And Lord, we join in that song today because you are worth it, because you are worthy, because you are holy, because you are mighty. So Lord, now as we open up your word, I pray that you would just speak to us in a mighty way through your word. Lord, I'm reminded of the passage in James that says, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. So God, this morning, even as we end off the service later this morning, would you just empower us to be obedient to you, Lord, to be doers of the word on mission for you. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. You guys can go ahead and take a seat. Amen. Right on. Thank you so much, uh, worship team. It's so good to worship together, even though we are apart. Um, good to be with you guys again this morning in your living rooms or wherever you might be. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and go to the book of Daniel. <clears throat> Daniel chapter 3 is where we're going to be as we're continuing this series through the book of Daniel. So turn with me to uh, Daniel chapter 3. Um, yeah, as you're turning there, you know, it was, it was during the first century where uh, uh, Christians in Rome were, were intensely persecuted. In fact, ancient historians record how Nero would take Christians, he would literally light them on fire and set them up as torches so that Rome could be lit by night. In, the, in that kind of persecution, it's, it's no wonder we read when Peter writes his letters. In the first, the first letter Peter sends out in 1 Peter chapter 1, he starts it with, to the, to the Christians, to the Christ followers who are dispersed, who are scattered throughout the Roman Empire. Why? With intense persecution, Christians begin to scatter around. And, and then he tells them, Peter does, later on in 1 Peter 4, he says, don't be surprised when the fiery trial comes. He says, don't find it strange when you, you face a fiery trial. Now, now, for us, we can use that in a, in a literary term. Oh, I'm just going through something so like a fiery trial. You wonder if Peter was saying, yeah, maybe figuratively, but also literally when you face the fires, don't find it strange. Peter's saying this, when you follow Jesus, there will be difficult times. There, there will be times when, when, when living for your faith means life gets tough. In fact, if you're tracking with us through the book of Daniel here, you, you see, over and over and over again, life just seems to be one trial after the other. Every story you read in the book of Daniel, Daniel and his friends are in the middle of a situation where something has gone wrong, something has gone bad, something that they, they didn't order had come up, and, and here they are. We have to remember this, that as we look at Daniel and as we look at our own lives as Christ followers, they were living in exile. They weren't living in their home country. They were pulled out as, as prisoners of war, now living in exile. But just like us now, in the same way, we know that this isn't our home. We're called to be, a, to be a blessing, to serve, to love, to care, to live out the gospel in our communities. But we do all of that even because we do that because we recognize this isn't my home. I'm living for a greater home. So how can we then as Christ followers, when we're living in a culture that's so quickly going in a different direction than what God's word would call us, how do we stand strong as exiles? How do we be courageous? When you're tempted to, to compromise your faith just to fit in, if you're sitting as a family right now and you've got, you've got students around you, students, listen up, listen up, that, that fear of fitting in, it doesn't stop when you leave school. Your parents struggle with it too. How do you live for Jesus in a culture that is not living for Jesus? So if you have your Bibles open to Daniel chapter 3, 
Look at verse 1. It starts off this way. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar, remember he was the king that was the ruler over Babylon, which basically meant he was the ruler over the world right now. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So you got to picture what he's building here. He's got this, this huge tower. It says 60 cubits, that's about 90 feet. So, so how big is that? If you've ever been to the Dorset Tower, the Dorset Tower is about 100 feet tall. So it's, it's just about as tall as the Dorset Tower. All right now, it, it says it's six cubits wide, about nine feet wide. Okay, so, so think less Statue of Liberty, more um, um, Washington Monument. It was this, this tall, thin, thin statue up in the middle of the plains of Dura, this, this tall statue, and what was it? It's, it's covered in gold. Why is that? It, it's, representing, it's representing the power of Babylon. You remember back in the chapter we just got through last week, chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream of this statue where the head of the statue was gold. And Daniel said, hey, that represents Babylon. But beneath that, you get silver and bronze. And, and, and those are different nations that are going to rise up and defeat Babylon and become the power. I wonder if Babylon, if, if Nebuchadnezzar building this huge idol is saying, no, 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 this whole thing's gold, top to bottom. My kingdom will, will never be overtaken. It's going to last forever. Let's keep reading. Look at verse 2. It goes on. Then King Nebuchadnezzar set, sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So he's throwing a big party. Hey, hey, let's come celebrate what I, what I built. I'm like, okay, that's cool. That's all right. Look at verse 3, though. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Okay, now we got a problem. What's happening here? Nebuchadnezzar is saying, hey, I want you to acknowledge, I want you to worship, I want you to come under my ultimate rule. Really what he's saying is, hey, you be conformed into this image I set up, this image of Babylon, this image of me as ruler, be conformed to this image. When what? We're called to what? To be conformed to the image of Christ. And you have this, this list of government officials, from justices to, 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 to politicians. Basically, it's, it's everybody. Nebuchadnezzar says, I rule it all. I rule the courts. I, I rule uh, the law of the land. I rule everything. It's all mine. And, and you see the repetitiveness of this these verses where it says it over and over again and a phrase keeps coming up, Nebuchadnezzar had set up. That Nebuchadnezzar had set up. This was all about Nebuchadnezzar. It was, it was set up by him, for him, about him. Verse six goes on, it says this, and whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. 
Okay, this party they're throwing just kind of lost its good times vibe right there, right? I mean, can you imagine the, the party planning committee getting together, you know, just kind of thinking, hey, what are we going to do? Well, you need a big statue. Ooh, make it all gold. It'll be really nice if it's all gold. And, and, and let's get a band together. We'll, we'll have a horn section, a, a lyre. Man, I know a guy who plays a mean trigon. Okay, I don't even know what a trigon is, but right? We got harps, and, and, and you just, just imagine one Babylonian go, what about the bagpipes? Right, okay, for the Scottish Babylonians, we'll get the bagpipes in there too, right? Every kind of worship you could imagine. This awesome band, this sweet statue, like this is going to be so good, so good. And then one guy pipes up from the back and says, hey, hey, how about a fire, fiery furnace where, where we'll burn people alive if they don't join our party? I mean, what's up with this furnace all of a sudden dropped in here? And he, here's what's going on. Nebuchadnezzar knew as he's gathering people from all over, all the nations, all the languages, not everyone would be cool with worshiping the Babylonian gods was saying, you're my new God. You're where my life is now. And so to, in order to control, to make sure, hey, everyone's gonna follow what I've got going on, he puts the fear of death. And it worked. I mean, look at verse seven. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And again, we see this happening, what I'm talking about, that, that Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're living in exile. That, that, that we too, the same way, we're, we're living as, as Peter says, we're, we're aliens in a foreign land. As the book of Hebrews would say, we're not citizens of this world, we're citizens of, of heaven. So, I, mean, I, I love Muskoka, but this is not my forever home. I'm living for something more. So we are exiles. We're living as exiles. This is not our home. Our hope and our life is not rooted here. We have, we have an eternal life. We have an e eternal home. And listen, to remember that, to remember the, this first point that we are in exile, listen, this changes things for us. We don't spend our lives on the here and now. We have something else waiting for us, but, but there's a, a flip side to this because we go, okay, if I'm all about heaven, then let's just, as I always say, we'll just huddle up, hide out, and wait for Jesus to come back. No, 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 no. When we say that we're exiles, when we're, we're living here, we're sojourners. We're, we're not tourists who go to an all-inclusive resort and then say, wow, I got so much culture of the place I went to. No, you didn't. You, know, you never left the resort. You just hid out there. That, that's not what we're called to. As sojourners, we're called to engage with culture. We don't worship it, but we engage with it. In fact, I love how Jeremiah, who was a prophet at the time, same time that Daniel was, was here, he was prophesying, and he was saying, hey, as you guys go into exile, he said, Jeremiah 29, 4, he goes, go build houses. Go bless the people. Go engage in the culture to be a blessing to the city. So we live in this place where we don't quite fit in. If we, if we follow what God calls us to in his word, we're not going to really fit in to, to this culture completely. But what do we do? We seek to love our, our communities. We seek to bless. When this whole setup, listen, there will be times when Jesus and culture don't line up. Where, where, where we would say, oh, okay, uh, yeah, you guys, you can bow down to whatever idol you're setting up. You, you can bow down to, to the idol of celebrity. You can bow down to the idol of sports. You can bow down to the idol of money. You can bow down to Hindu gods and to, and to Islam. You, you, can, you can worship whatever you want. We, we would say that you, you could do that, and I'll keep loving you, and I'll keep calling you to, to something better. But listen, listen, I'm not bowing down to that. 
Because of that, there will always be opposition. I mean, we may be, and we've been in a long season now as the church, a season of peace in our culture, but listen, there will always be put before you a choice. And our culture's been good for the church, it's been good for Christianity, but listen, we know it's moving. We know the trajectory is not good. Remember a few summers ago, there was that, that summer internship program where, where you could bring on student interns, and, and the government said, in order to do it, you need to check off all these boxes. And, and this was the, will you pass the values test to, to be worshiping what we worship in order to get finances to pay for internship? And you read through what the values were. You're like, no, I, I can't do that. We, we, we couldn't check that box. We, we couldn't give our allegiance to the government in order to get, now listen, I'm not so worried about that kind of stuff. If, if, if we lose government funding for internships, well, listen, we don't need government funding to do the work of the church. So, so if they say, bow down or you lose this money, we're like, yeah, keep your cash. We're gonna keep doing our thing. But listen, that was a small poke. That, that was a, a little idol being built up. Think of Bill C-6, just a, another evidence of, of culture shifting. And, and it's, it's moving more quickly, listen, moving more quickly to some fiery furnace moments where, where, where there'll come a moment when, when for me to stand up and preach what God's word says may get me in trouble with the government of our day. The trajectory's not good. And we even talked about over this last few weeks about this pandemic. And while I don't believe it's persecution of the church, and no matter where you stand on the issue, you, you could be on another side. Listen, that's great. It, here, here's what I do believe, and I think we could all agree it's, it's a wake-up call for churches. I mean, wh what would happen if churches really were shut down from, from preaching the gospel? Not just, hey, you have to do more services. You have to be spread out. You have to wear a mask. No, what if it was like, no, you can't say that. You can't talk about Jesus like that. Will we continue to live out our faith? Will, will we continue to connect with each other like we're called to do, not forsaking each other? Will, will we still declare and demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ? But let me take it out of the larger view for a moment. Let's get right down to where we live our lives today. Where do you see this pressure to be conformed into the image of culture instead of being conformed in the image of Christ? To bow down to the idols of your heart and of culture. I mean, how hard is it for you at work? Do you feel that draw, that pull? Students in school, do you have classes where, or teachers or friends where you feel that pressure? Like, if you don't bow down to this ideology, if you don't bow down to this action, if you don't bow down to this way of life, to this statement, you feel like, man, I'm gonna be in the fiery furnace. I'm gonna be pushed to the outside. I'm gonna be shunned. I'm gonna be ignored. Listen again, we're in exile. Goes on, verse eight. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. Right, so we've got these, these Chaldeans who, they were trying to rise in power, and you got Daniel and his three guys. I'm sure there may have been others that were, that were rising in power as well. So they're jealous of these guys. Verse 9, out of their jealousy, they declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the hornpipe, goes on and on, right, all this stuff, right, shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They don't serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. So you've got these accusations now coming against these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And again, I wonder, where's Daniel in this? 
Did Daniel bow down? Did he work? No, no, of course he didn't. We, we know further on he's going to be thrown into a den of lions because he stands up for, for following Christ, following God over the Babylonian way of life. So Daniel, maybe, was he off on some other mission for the king where he sent him to another part of the country? Maybe, but you've got these three guys and you've got this accusation coming to the king about them. Now, now when you read the accusations, there's, there's three accusations there. Two of them are true. One of them is not true at all. Look again at, at, the verse, at verse 12. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They don't serve your gods or worship the golden image you've set up. Wait a minute. Two of those are true. They, they're not going to serve your gods. They're not going to worship the image. But, but, but they serve the king well. I mean, they've, they've risen to powers of, of a position of power. Why? Because they respected the authority of the king. Because they, they were the kind of dudes that the king said, man, I want these guys around me. I want them helping me lead. They, they were living out the call that Jeremiah had said, hey, be a blessing when you go into exile. These guys living this out. So these true accusations of they don't worship your gods, they don't bow down to this idol, they had a bit more sting when you attach a lie to it, though. I heard somebody this week as I was studying for this text say the same tactics used today. I mean, think about the things that you would believe as a Jesus follower and then our culture adds a lie to what you believe. Think about something like marriage where we would say, you know what, I believe what God's word, it's pretty clear that marriage is a man and a woman for a lifetime. And, and what, what happens when you say that? A lie is attached to it. Well, it's, it, you say that because you're homophobic, because you, you hate the LGBTQ people. We, we say that God's word's pretty clear about, about where sex is, is supposed to be a gift. It's a gift in marriage and, and only in marriage. And what's the lie? Well, you're so prudish. You're, you're so out of touch. We believe that God's created man and woman, two genders. Oh, you're, you're marginalizing and, and hating transgender people. We believe that God would say life is precious, so we're going to stand in opposition to abortion. We're going to try to come alongside women who are going to make those choices. Oh, you're oppressing women. We believe from Scripture that, that men should lead in their home, men should lead in the church. Oh, you're misogynist, you're, you're anti-women. We believe that God created everything we see and by his providential care, he's holding it all together. Oh, oh, because you're anti-science. We believe Jesus is the only way. You're intolerant. I mean, what do we do living with these kind of accusations? Well, what's Peter say? He says in 1 Peter, he says, don't be surprised by them. Don't find it strange when you face these kind of trials. So, so here's the first thing you do with those kind of accusations. Expect it. Don't be unaware. We're living in exile. The, the, what we believe God's word says is not going to be lining up in, in what, what is going on in our culture. Expect it. But here's the second thing. Expect it, but, but don't compromise. Don't compromise. If the lie comes and pushes in on what God's word says, where you would be able to go, listen, I'm still not moving on what God's word says. I'm not conforming into your image. I'm not bowing down to this cultural God. I'm, I'm being conformed into Christ. I'm being conformed into what God calls me to. Expect it. Don't compromise. But here's something else we do. We expect it. We're not going to compromise. But here's the most important thing. Let's be different. Be different. What do I mean by that? I would say this. Live in a way that shows Jesus we, we can live not compromising on this while we're also living a life of love and grace and care. I mean, I have conversations with friends who aren't Jesus followers, and, and some of the stuff I hear them accuse Christians of, I'm like, dang, but that's true. 
How often are Christians persecuted, not for Jesus, but because we're obnoxious, because we're not showing the fruit of the Spirit. And, and you can have the person say, oh, I'm, I'm being persecuted for standing for Jesus. No, you're not. You're being persecuted because you're a doughhead, because you're not living a loving, gracious life. I mean, our love should be so evident. Why would I say that? I mean, look at the early church. The early church was unbelievably persecuted. And yet even those who persecuted the church, you read historians, even those who persecuted the church had to admit, man, they love everybody. They, they sacrifice for the poor, for the sick, for the broken. They're generous, they're forgiving, they're caring. And, and they would say, man, they're doing this more than anybody else. So I would say it this way. In the condition we find ourselves in today, being shut down, thank God we're gonna open up again next Sunday, but, but we had some options of what we could do. So what do we do? We're, we're writing letters to, to our government officials just saying, hey, hey, we think church should be essential. We, we think you should open us up. We're following all the rules you have laid before us, and that's one thing we do. We're going to humbly entreat our government officials to, to open this thing up, to stop meddling with church, and yet here's something else we can do. It's something that, that you guys crushed it on. And if you were at the prayer meeting this week, you would have heard this already, but a local business person I know was saying, I'm struggling. I'm going to have to close down because of this next shutdown. And, and it was a person where I get my hair cut. In fact, most of the pastors get their hair cut there. And so I thought, man, we got to do something for this person. And so I just put a thing out on Facebook. Hey, guys, maybe you could fire a, a $25 as a, an e-transfer for a, for a haircut you're not going to get. But just to, to help keep her open, to help, help. Get, well, listen, you guys responded in such a way. I mean, incredibly so. So much so that she, she's like, how do I thank your people? What do I do? So just, she put a post up on Instagram. Just saying, man, I don't, even, I don't even believe in God. I've never even been to that church, but these people love me so much, more than you could ever imagine. And she says, I don't believe in God, but apparently he believes in me. Listen, that's living different. Let's keep going. Verse 13, it says, the Nebuchadnezzar, in his furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. So here's the king. You know, Nebuchadnezzar gets, gets a lot of stuff said about him, but here he's, he's a pretty wise king. He's not just going to chuck him into the fire. He's like, you know what? I want to talk to them. Why? I assume it's this, because he's thinking, no way. These guys are awesome. They're, they're such great leaders in my kingdom. This can't be true. So he brings them in. He's still ticked off, though. Verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image I've set up? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Wow. I mean, what a statement. What's he saying? I'm more powerful than your puny God. I'm more powerful than any God. And look at their answer. It, facing this, facing this madman and a fiery furnace, verse 16 says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. I love that. They're saying, hey, hey, Neb, Neb, like uh, our God is the true God. We serve him, we worship him alone. And, and yes, he could do something as simple as saving us from your furnace or your hand. 
Now, what's Nebuchadnezzar's reaction as they now stand in opposition to what he's called them to do? He says, man, you know, you guys have been so good. You're, you're so loving and gracious. And, and, and you know what? You're so full of integrity that you would make that stand. Man, I respect that. I totally do. Let's just move on. No, no. What's he say? That's not what happens. Look at verse 19. The Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. And the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's so angry, you can see it on his face. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. This guy is losing it. There's no logic to turning the furnace up even hotter. If you want to be more cruel, turn it down. Burn him slowly. But no, he's so mad. Make it hotter. Make him burn up now. Verse 20. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army, <laughs> he loves that, he gets like the strongest guys to do this, to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. And these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, their other garments. <laughs> I love that. Why, why that detail, right? I don't know. They're super flammable, I guess. That's what he's saying, right? And they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the King's order was urgent, and the furnace overheated. The flame of the fire, listen, killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, and those three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Listen, listen, I, I could close in prayer right now. We could wrap this thing up, and this would have been an incredible story of faith. And so powerful, these, these three guys standing strong in exile, standing strong in their trials. And in fact, listen, this isn't just historical writing from a thousand years ago. Listen, you could write this story today. It's being lived out around our world today. And we may be living in a, in a country where we don't see this as much, so much so that we would think that having to wear a mask is persecution. But no, 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 over 250 million Christians face high levels of persecution for their choice of following Jesus. 250 million Christians around the world right now. Here's the stats. Every month, 255 are killed for their faith. Every month. 104 abducted. 180 women raped or forced into marriages outside of their faith. 160 Christians in prison. 66 churches every month will be attacked, either burned or vandalized or worship services interrupted. I mean, how do we stand in that? How do we live as an exile in this? Because here's the thing. This account is not, hey, be more like these guys. If that was what this was about, I don't have a whole lot of hope. Man, I, I love reading scripture because most of the people I read about are a bunch of wrecked, jacked up people. And I can go, man, at least I'm not like they are. But these guys, I, if I'm supposed to be like them, how? How? Where's my hope in that? So let me quickly, as we wrap this up, let me unpack where's our hope. How do we live in exile? Here's our second point this morning. It's this. I need truth about God. I need truth about God. I mean, this decision to stand for Christ, to be transformed into the image of Christ and not the image of our culture, it's a decision we need to make every day, a, a decision that I'm going to follow God's word. I'm going to live sacrificially, lovingly, giving, faithful, holy kind of a life. That's a decision we need to make. They had to make that choice. And it's a choice in exile, right? You gotta think about it. They had the best life you could imagine. They were a part of the king's court, had the best food, lived in the best homes, connected with power and their decision, their decision to not worship was a decision that had teeth to it. You understand that to worship something means to give it worth. 
And they're deciding in this moment, what do I give worth to? What do I value? What do I live for? And the choice required them leaving one behind. It's, it's following God or following Babylon. It was not, well, you know what, I, I can still do that. I can still worship the gods of Babylon. I can still bow my life to those while still being a Christ follower, right, right, right? It, it also wasn't, hey, can I still be a Jesus follower, but you guys be okay with me? No, they're leaving behind Babylon. The good life it offered. I mean, for you this morning, are, are you willing to sacrifice that? grandmas and grandpas and moms and dad and students and, and kids, are you willing to give up what, what, what Christ may be calling you, whether it be finances or whether it be power or whether it be popularity or whether it be your identity? Are you willing to give that up? Because if you bow to culture, you can keep all of that and your life will be so comfortable. If you don't bow to culture, you may have to lose it all. That's the life of a Christian. And so to do that, we, we need to know God's truth. We need to know what, what has he called us to and what are the promises he has for us and the power he has for us that we can live for him and him alone. So, so if we are gonna get to know God, here, here's three ways. Here's the first. To know God's truth, I need to know God's promises. Know God's promises. So here you have these guys about to be thrown into a, into a fiery furnace. And I wonder if Isaiah, who had prophesied hundreds of years before these guys showed up on the scene, they would have had access to what Isaiah had said. And Isaiah 43, 1 says this, but thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel, he says this, fear not, for I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. See, I own you, I love you, you're mine. I'm gonna protect you. And I wonder if while they're in this situation, do you think that promise was ringing in their ears? God's saying, I got you. That when the waves are crashing, the, the promises of God are that anchor that keeps us stable. When everything else in the world is shaking, the promises of God is that rock that we stand on. So let me ask you this question. Do you know the promises of God? But God says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Where he says, I'll walk through the dark valley with you. Where he says, he says I'll supply every need of yours according to my riches in glory in Christ Jesus where he says he's able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work, 2 Corinthians 9, 8. Where he would say, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand, Isaiah 41, 10. That he would promise this, that you've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power is being guarded through faith for a salvation to be revealed in the last time. 1 Peter 1, 3 to 5. Do you know the promises of God? Because when life gets tough, you can't hold on to promises that you don't know. So, so today is the day. If you're like, I'm not in a trial even right now, then today's the day. Build that foundation of promises so that when the opportunity comes up where, where you have a, an opportunity to either worship Babylon or worship Christ, you can say, listen, King, I don't need to think about this one. 
God's already spoken to me. And, and come hell or high water, I'm holding on to the promises of God. I mean, these men knew that. They knew what God had promised. So let me encourage you, as, as single people, as, as, as married couples, as families, as teens, as students, get into the word, read it, study it, memorize it, know God's promises. You know his promises. Here's the other way we know God's truth in trials, that we would know God's power. Know God's power. I mean, it's one thing to know that he's promised something, but it's something else to know that he has the power to keep it, that, that our God is able to keep his promises. So, so listen, right now, in the midst of whatever trial you're in right now, whatever that might be, listen to the promise that God's able. My daughter's in grade nine science right now and they just started a whole section on space. So that means I'm trying to learn about space so I can, I can kind of help her out as she's walking through this stuff. And here's some cool facts that I've learned about our earth. Um, earth has been uh, estimated to weigh about six sextillion tons, all right? That's six with 21 zeros. That's a lot, all right? And, and yet it's, it's perfectly balanced and, and it spins at the rate of, of more than 1,600 kilometers an hour. That's how it's spinning. And, and it does this, it, it turns over 40,000 kilometers every day. 14.5 million kilometers a year that we're spinning at over 1,600 kilometers an hour. Think about that. In Job 26.7, it says that God poised the earth on nothing. Listen, nothing's too big for God to accomplish. So we, we hold on to these truths that, God, you've made these promises. You have the power to, to complete these promises. And, and here's the key that holds those two together. When you're in the midst of trials, listen, God, no, know that God has a plan. We know his power. We know his promises. Here's the key to it all, though. Know that God has a plan. In fact, look at verse 18. They say, we're not going to do it. We're not going to bow down. We're not going to worship. We're not going to do any of that. Verse 18, but if, if and, and God's going to deliver us from this. God would deliver us, verse 18, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. I love that. I mean, I have it underlined in my Bible. If you underline in your Bible, underline that, but if not, but if not, they just said, he is so able to do this. He's gonna deliver. We know his promises. We know his power. But if not, we're still not worshiping you. They knew the promises. They knew the power. They, they, if you were to say to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, hey, can God deliver you from this fire? Absolutely he can. But we don't know his plans. And so, so if he'll be more glorified in our death, we're still worshiping him alone. They have this amazing perspective. I mean, I think of it a bit like what the Apostle Paul would say, where he says, if I live, it's gain. If I die, it's gain. He goes, if I live, I get to keep on serving God. It's a win. If I die, I get to be with Jesus, so I win. I mean, if you're about to face trial, if you're about to face persecution, I mean, nobody can beat that. Do whatever you want to do. I'm going to win either way. They're saying, King, if we live, we win. If we die, we win. I mean, that's true faith. God can heal. God can deliver. God can fulfill. But he's not my servant. He's my God. This kind of faith didn't just start here in verse 18 for these three guys. In fact, I'd say the real miracle here in Daniel 3 happened before they were even thrown into the fire. 
they were, I heard one preacher say this, they were spiritually fireproof before they were physically fireproof. And this is a faith that was formed over a long period of time in smaller decisions they've been making. A small decision of, hey, we're going to be in community with each other. You never read these three names unless they're all together. Even how they answer, we, O King. Like they are so united with each other. They're not doing this Christian life alone, but they're united together saying, I'm going to be in community. And sure, the, the government can say we can't meet as a large church, but man, I'm not forsaking getting together with people. I'm not forsaking connecting with people. I'm not doing this on my own. They made the decision to obey in the little. Remember in chapter one, okay, okay, we'll do this, we'll do that, we're not gonna do this. It's it's obedience in the small things that build your character. So let me ask you this, what, what little choices are you excusing in your life right now? What little idols, what little fears what little compromises, and, and they may not be a hundred foot tall idols that everybody around sees, oh wow, this person is worshiping something other than Christ, but, but what are the small decisions? Because it's those small decisions you make every day that create your character. And these guys knew the promises of God, they knew the power of God, but they also knew God's plan was bigger than them, bigger than just this moment in the furnace. That God had a plan. He's got a plan with this fire, but they're not gonna presume we know what the plan is. I heard one person say it this way, if they're delivered from the fire, their faith is built. If they're delivered through the fire, their faith is refined. If they're delivered by the fire, their faith is perfected. Do you get that? When God saves us from trials, man, doesn't our faith get built up? When, when we go through the trial with him, our faith is refined in that. Ultimately, if we can't make it through and we're called home, listen, our faith is perfected. We need to keep this perspective as we face trials. Now, here's the deal as we wrap this up. To do all of this, we have to make the choice. We have to make the choice, I'm going to stand for this. But here's what the power is. The power is this, our last point. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. You see, 2 Corinthians 1.20 says that all the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus. So if, if your life is hid in Christ, he's gonna be at, at work in these decisions. He's gonna be at work in these trials. It's, it's why when trials come, Christians shouldn't be the ones freaking out or fretting or, or in fear. Because we, we know I can't do this on my own, but Jesus promises me. In fact, he promises in the gospels, he says, don't worry when you're brought before the, the government leaders. When you're dragged before the authorities, don't worry about what you're gonna say. He says, the Holy Spirit will give you the words. If, if you're hid in me, you'll be okay. Let's see how it plays out here in, in Daniel. He throws these guys into the fire. Nebuchadnezzar was, they're in the flame, <clears throat> they're thrown in, verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, it's true, O king. But he answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they're not hurt and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. What's going on here? Who's that fourth person? Listen, I think Nebuchadnezzar got it right. He said, he said, this person appears so bright, brighter than the burning fire, so bright, it's like a son of the gods. We know who that is. That's not a son of the gods. That's the son of God, a, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. It's Jesus in the fire with them. 
You see what's happening there? This is God saying, this is how I save. Jesus Christ, the only God, walks into the furnace. Why didn't God just, just maybe knock everybody out and rescue them that way? Why didn't God just reach down and pull them out of the fire before they burned? Why did he walk in there? Why did Jesus walk around in the fire with them? Well, here's where our hope is. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus talks about the wrath of God as a fiery furnace. In fact, he says at the very end of time, angels will come and, and what are they going to do? They're going to pick up the wicked and the oppressors and they're going to throw them into what? Into the fiery furnace. So what's the fiery furnace? The fiery furnace is the justice that our sin deserves. And remember in the Garden of Gethsemane as Jesus was sweating, Jonathan Edwards says this, he says he was sweating because he was about to be sent into the furnace and the furnace doors were open. That Jesus came, why? To go into the ultimate furnace for us. To take all the punishment we deserved. All the punishment that wickedness and evil and sin deserved. All the punishment that selfishness deserved. All the punishment that indifference deserved. And he went in willingly. So God does not rescue by reaching down and pulling us out. Listen, he goes in. I mean, that's the gospel. And that's the moment we come to this place where we say, I can't rescue myself. No amount of good works will work me out of that fiery furnace. I have sin that needs to be dealt with. And, and Jesus says, I'm the one who's dealt with it. It's in that moment where we say, Jesus, I, I worship you. I bow down to you and you alone because you're the one who's entered in to rescue me from the greatest fiery furnace. So that these smaller furnaces I face are just that, smaller. My ultimate rescue has been made, has been won. Verse 26 says that Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace and he declared Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of, listen, the most high God. He's getting it. Come out and come here. Here's the thing. Now, I, I read scripture maybe in a different way than other people do, but I'm thinking if I was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I would not be as holy as they are because I would probably say, if he says, hey, come on out, I'd say, we cannot hear you, O king. Come a little closer to the fire. But they didn't do that, right? What did they do? It says they came out. They walked out of the fire. Why do they need to be called out? <laughs> you would think they'd be thrown in and jump right out, but no, they're thrown in there. Why? Because Jesus is there with them. Here's what I'm picturing. They're in there worshiping. They're in there communing, just being with Jesus, so much so that Nebuchadnezzar says, hey, you guys gotta come out now. So they come out, look at verse 27, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, all these people, right? They saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair on their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command, and what? Yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their god. I love how he says that. They yielded up their bodies. Why? They knew there was something greater. They knew what we know now on the other side of the cross that Christ has taken care of our fiery furnace. They, they know what we read in 1 Peter 1 that we have a, a hope that cannot be taken away, a hope guarded by God, a salvation that will stand strong, Peter says, in the fire. And not just that. In 1 Peter 1, he says, not only will your, your faith be strong in the fire, it will be refined by the fire. 
that God's at work in the midst of the trial to burn off Babylon, to refine us, to be more and more like him. Jesus Christ suffered to save you. He didn't suffer so that you would never suffer again, but when, when we suffer now because of Christ, we're made more and more like him. And it's so interesting that Peter says in 1 Peter, not only does he talk about the fire, he also says this, that through the trials, the fire, you'll be refined like pure gold. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar thought his, his statue of gold was worth worshiping and God saying, no, 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 man, that's nothing compared to what I'm doing in you through this trial to make you more like what? More like Jesus. So let me ask you this. Whose image are you being transformed into today? Are you being transformed in the image of Babylon or the image of Christ? God writes these trials in our lives, not, not, not to ruin us, but to bring more of Jesus in us for our good, for his glory. These three guys here would have missed this glory if they had bowed. If they had bowed to Babylon in that moment, they wouldn't be part of the greater story that God was writing. So listen, when we daily bow, when we are daily giving ourselves over to the Babylon of our culture, we're writing ourselves out of the story. Instead, listen, let's rest in the truth that Jesus took our ultimate fiery furnace so we could bear these smaller furnaces. So listen, so as a church, listen, harvest, that we could stand with a deeper faith, that we could trust his promises, his power, his plan, and we could see him transform us more and more into the image of Christ. Listen, as we end this morning, I, I wanna leave you with this. Rather than singing a song of worship this morning, I want to leave you with a couple of questions. These are questions that, that if, you're, if you're on your own, maybe take some time to pray through and think through or journal through these questions. If, if, you're, if you're with another person, that you would do this together. If you're with a family, that you would ask these questions and, and do this with each other, with, with kids, with parents. That parents have a perfect opportunity for you to, to be pouring into your kids and just that this would be a moment where you guys would wrestle with what God has just spoken through his word to your hearts. So here's the questions I want you to wrestle with. Here's the first one. What idols or fears do you have that tempt you not to stand strong for Jesus? I mean, what would it be for you? What's that golden statue that you find your heart drawn to? That idol that you find your heart drawn to? That, that fear you have, if I, if I do this, I lose out on. What is that? What, do you, what is it that you would, you would find it hard to stand strong for Jesus? I mean, share those with each other. Be in community even now, although we're apart, that where you are right now, you would be, you'd be together. And if, if you're alone, then maybe pick up the phone and go, hey, are you watching the sermon this morning? Can I walk through this with you? Can I tell you what I'm struggling with? And students, you tell your parents, this is why it's hard at school. Husbands and wives, you talk about this is what's difficult for me. And here's the second question. As you do that, I want you to do this. What promises of God can you stand on today? in the midst of, in the face of that idol you face, that trial you're in, what's a promise of God you can stand on today? If you're like, I don't know, I don't know, man, Google it. Start to look through what are the promises of God in Scripture and find God's Word, to have, have God's Word be able to pour over your soul this morning. And then you would pray for each other this morning, that you would end off this morning praying those promises of God for each other. Lord, that we would know this, that we would recognize this, that we would come under this. And that Jesus would change us again that we'd be changed today one more degree by degree to the glory of God, to be changed in the image of Christ today for our good, for God's glory. Let me pray. Lord God, 
I pray that as we walk through these questions together, Lord, I pray that you would use them to stir our hearts. Lord God, that what was said about these three could be said about us, that we would yield up our bodies rather than serve and worship any God except you, Lord God. Lord God, I pray that we would grab a hold of some promises to know that, God, you're the God who saves. You're the God who redeems. But you're also God with a plan so much bigger than I could ever imagine. And so, Lord, we're going to rest in your hands. We're going to step forward with boldness and grace, knowing that, God, you have a plan. Whether you're glorified by us being rescued from the trial, whether you're, you're glorified by us being refined in the trial, or whether you're glorified by us going right into the trial and being called home, God, would you get the glory? May we live our lives for that and that alone. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Love you so much.